you. You were dancing what you wanted from me, what kind of lead that you wanted. And if I understood that, and if I just went to seek to understand you, then that would have made me a better partner for you. I would lead you better. You would probably want to dance with me again because I would make you feel safe every single time I picked you up in my arms. And that was my wife. And so I danced with my wife for my whole entire career from the moment that we stepped in the studio. That's where I met her. And it was awesome. Every step of the way when we were dancing together, it always begged that question out of the relationship, which was, how are you going to be a better leader for her? to Dads and Deadlifts podcast with me, your host, Rish. This podcast is to raise awareness around the social stigma of the word man up. Research has shown men are less likely to seek help for trauma, abuse, neglect, addictions, and mental illness because they will be perceived as weak. Research had directly or indirectly linked these problems to the social and cultural perceptions of the word man up. It's time to start a conversation and redefine this word man up. Each week, you'll be hearing from men and women all around the world who survived emotional abuse, physical abuse, domestic violence, and addictions, and how they came out on the other side with triumph to begin a new chapter. You will also hear from experts and coaches all around the globe on matters like brain health, psychology of men and women, holistic healing, fitness, and last but not least, what it takes to be a man, overcoming the social stigma and expectations, and tap into your individual unique authenticity and vulnerability. Thank you for joining me in this mission to serve men around the world and letting them know they are not alone in this. Welcome to Dads and Deadlifts with an episode with none other than Juan. And I will say, I know this guy from my business accelerator program. And when I talked to him for the first time, I realized that I need to bring him on my podcast to share how social stigma around man up have crippled us through ages. And he's one example like many others that I have interviewed so far that have broke that barrier and came on the other side with Triumph and have a successful two ballroom dance studios in San Jose, California. So without further ado, let's welcome Juan. Thank you. Thank you very much, Glenn. Super happy to be here. Juan, welcome to the podcast. And before we go into anything, let me ask you something. I normally ask people like on my podcast, what's their story and who they are, but I want to start a little different with you. Okay. I want to switch it up a little bit. When did you feel you want to dance? Oh man. I think I probably got the first inkling when I was probably about 10 or 11. And um, back then it was the eighties. So it was like all hip hop and break dancing. So my cousins were into it and pretty much where I got into like the break dancing scene. And that was my first introduction to dancing. I knew I loved that part of it. And I had no clue several years later that this would be something that I would actually get into just a different form of it. We say about 11, 10 or 11. 
Wow. So that was your first, like you felt it like, yep, this is what I love. It's, it's cool. Yeah. It yeah. was, I'm a sports guy by probably just in general, soccer is my sport and it's my favorite. I thought, in fact, I would, was going to be a soccer player until ballroom dancing took over. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so you started feeling like you love dancing about 10, 11 years old and you were playing soccer sports, right? Like that's what men and boys were like, yeah, we're into sports, right? I mean, nowadays things have changed for sure. And what was the transition like? Let me ask you in two different segments. What was the transition like to you first? It was, the transition was unique. It was odd. It was hard. I want to preface it a little bit with maybe a little bit of how I got into it, if that's okay with you. Absolutely. Take it over. So I um, probably, at, at around 18, I was just graduated high school and I was I was a dork in high school. I didn't know how to talk to girls and I was just like, trying to figure out my way through feeling just self-confident, had image problems and issues there. And so when I saw a movie that just pretty much showed a guy dancing with good looking women, and I'm like, okay, I've got to learn how to do that. So I called up a studio and started right away. Like within six months, I got so involved with it. I don't know if it was maybe the parallel to sports like you're using your brain, you're using quick feet actions and such. And so it was, and I got to dance with pretty women. <laughs> so that was pretty cool for me. But I think that part drove such this passion into me that fed my creative side. So part of dancing, you get into choreography, you get to, you're an artist, literally just using your body. And that whole side fed my brain like nobody's business. I wasn't really that much into like scholastics and stuff like that. So I just kind of found it a little bit hard there. And that fed the passion to want to pursue it further. The part where I was talking about how a little bit of, of it transitioned into being hard is because, yeah, it's not something very typical for, you know, guys to do, so to speak. And back 20 years ago when I started this, you know, you, you just didn't really talk a lot about it or hear a lot about it. I remember telling my family about it. I don't know about you, but I come from a, a Latin background and Latinos are very machismo. You know, it's like you're strong, you're the guy. And uh, I remember when I first told them, hey, I'm learning how to ballroom dance. And uh, they quoted this Tina Turner song, Private Dancer. So they're like, oh, what are you? Private dancer, dancer for money do what they want you to do. And it didn't dawn on me till later. They're like, how did you know the words to that song? Number one, but, <laughs> <laughs> but they, that was just, that was just kind of like the stigma around it. And I just got, I don't want to say ridiculed, but, but I was, I was kind of like, you know, left the feeling a little weird for making this choice. And if it wasn't my love for what it fed to me at the time, I probably wouldn't be here today. Wow. And this is where you and I talked about initially and uh, offline. This is where I, I give you a lot of kudos for this, because a lot of us, we kind of hear or listen to those, um, you know, feedbacks, right? And not necessarily they're coming from a wrong place. They're, they're coming from a very caring place. Like, hey, we want to make sure like you're, you're being taken care of when you're an adult, right? Like that's, that's all parents and families think about. So let's go back to where your beginning was. So how did you feel? Like, not how did you feel? Like, it's more like, how did you overcome that feedbacks, right? Those feedbacks that you 
keep getting. And I'm assuming that everyone around you were more like, are you still doing this? Are you still doing this? Because that's the question I got too myself. So I, I want to know what was uh, your um, reactions and uh, how did you overcome that? Yeah, good question. You know, so originally it was my family talked a lot about schooling and everything was like, I mean, we're immigrant family, first generation American. And their big thing was you got to go to school because you have to make it better than I did. Mm -hmm. um, and the only thing they knew was that they just didn't know anything more. And my dad in particular just knew what he was taught, which was pretty much you got to work with your hands and you got to you got to work hard and and just had his mindset on a specific thing. And that just happened to be school. I was studying to be an architect. I think I took one or two semesters in college and I decided school wasn't for me. And uh, after about six months of learning to dance, the dance studio I, I was at needed teachers. So I just jumped in. I'm like, I'm going to do it because I absolutely loved it. But to answer your question, the it was just my love for something so much, my passion for it, that it was kind of like the first thing that I stuck through to the end. You know, when I was younger, I was always had this knack for doing something really good and then hitting a, a roadblock and feeling like I never got support. And then all of a sudden changing lanes. And that could have been like, you know, whether it was a sport like football, I was really good at football for a while. And then all of a sudden just hit this roadblock and I pivoted and I, and I went to something else. I tried baseball. I, I, well, I never really fell in love with baseball, but, and I tried soccer and soccer was the thing. And it's same thing. When I got to this roadblock, I just never felt like I felt supported. Now, whether that was, whether it was family or friends or whatever, didn't matter it was just, it was the feeling that I had inside for me. So when I, when I went to ballroom dancing, it was something that I just thought about 24 seven. I'd, I'd wake up 4am in the morning and I'd write steps down in a journal. And I would just remember being super excited for it, going to work. I loved going to work. And in my family, it wasn't necessarily the right thing at the time to do. My job was to go to school, get a real job. And then that way you can make money and then you can make it. They didn't really see that an artist could, you know, do that. And not only that, but do things like provide for a family like a man's supposed to do that you could, you know, show up in a masculine way because I don't know if you know much about ballroom dancing, but, you know, we wear tight clothes and we put makeup on. We do that day in and day out and we love it. <laughs> Yes. I never know how to put eyeliner on, but if you ever want to learn how I can teach you that I know how, <laughs> um, and, and I, and I want to preface this with the time, right? I mean, because this was 20 years ago, it just wasn't the, like the stigma that we grow up learning and, and saying that we're supposed to do. And if it wasn't for just that love of, you know what, I don't care what anybody else thinks I'm going to do it anyways, it would probably have failed and faltered like many other dreams that I've had as well. So that tells me a lot because that's, it's amazing because I want to take it from there because what you mentioned is like, you know, you, there's always a roadblocks with everything that you try, right? Football, baseball, yeah. uh, soccer, with ballroom dancing, it's completely different. And I felt that too myself, like with the martial art, you know, like I did, I had done martial arts since I was four years old till like 22 years old and all that. And uh, then I would do like a lot of other things where I never really felt it. It was more like always it came down to acting. It was more like acting all the time. Like it was more like, okay, how can I? And I was not as brave as you, by the way. Uh, I actually ended up taking engineering. <laughs> 
<laughs> but now now i do it uh, i pursue it because you know it's still i'm 39 and it's still there i just couldn't get the bug out of me basically and that's exactly what i hear from you so my question is to you all the listeners and all the people that are listening looks like and i feel that myself too and correct me if i'm wrong i felt that i had always that pushing me like i will somehow pursue acting i don't know when I never really gave up inside me, even though I was not performing every day, but I will always do it performing for myself, <laughs> you know, in the living room, in the bedroom, in the bathroom, whatever. What was your mental fitness or condition? Or do you think you just had that? Or have you thought about that? Like, did you have to work on it? Like, I'm not going to give up no matter who else is saying whatever. Because that's one thing, like, I want the listeners to understand, like, there will be so much outside noise, right? And just like you pursued your dream and now you're a successful entrepreneur in San Jose, California, like, this is just, you know? Yeah. And just so far what you've shared your story. So I want listeners to know, like, do you think it's by accident? Or do you think, like, you there's, there's a piece of it? I, I want to bring that piece of you out so that they can understand like what if there's something they can learn and take it yeah you know i think there are different motivations that we have i feel in all stages of our lives right and those motivations will carry you to a certain point until you have to change the narrative and all of a sudden follow a new motivation. And that's where plateaus come in. So plateaus typically are the parts we're still in thought of, okay, what's my new motivation going to be? And we're working through that. And that's why it plateaus. Once we get a motivation again, all of a sudden it skyrockets back up until, you know, we're all of a sudden 60 again. And, and then it's probably going to happen again. And it's probably going to happen at 70 and 80. And so I had a, an inner motivation when I was younger to do this. Um, it was a, I will show you are the words that I would tell myself. You know, there were always little, little roadblocks. And whether it was because I didn't look like the other kids, whether it was because I didn't maybe speak like the other kids, I didn't come from the right family because I was poor, all these stories of why I wasn't chosen. And I created this belief. And one of those strong beliefs was, well, I'm going to show you. And I would find a way so that my ego in the end could say like, I told you I could do it. I told you I could do it. And that drove me. That drove me to just be as good as I possibly could be. And mainly that was through sports. And so when it carried into ballroom dancing, that continued. And it continued with whether it was, you know, parts of my family saying, it's not the right job for you. You know, you, you shouldn't be doing that. Whether it was my extended family saying, you know, a, a guy shouldn't dance like that. Whether it was within the ballroom dance competitive world saying you don't look the part, which is another thing we can talk about. And that kept that stigma of, well, I'm going to show you. And it drove me. It drove me to work harder than anybody else and to the point where it, where it could produce a result. And whether that was being an amazing teacher it was being a, a champion ballroom dancer. It was just like that little inside voice that drove me. Not everybody has that voice. Not everybody has, you know, that, that little guy or girl saying that to them, you know, but I think, I think everybody's got something that they hang on to and whatever that thing is, write it, 
like that would that would be my thing. I would just say I, if if it wasn't a voice inside me, I'm sure it would have been something else, and I would have rode that puppy till till I became successful with it. And that was just this inside. I don't know where I got it from. It was just inside. I, I've got this thing that I don't want to say workaholic, but it, it's dedicated. It's strong willed, and it gets up every time you knock it down. And that was the driving force for a lot of driving me to not stop when people said you couldn't do it. In fact, it drove me even more. No, I think like that's exactly where I was, where every time someone would tell me no, I would actually like watch me kind of deal. Of course, I got in a lot of trouble as a kid for that. But yes, yes. And uh, I think like it just comes very naturally with some people, some would don't. And I think like what I want to get your perspective on boys and men and even girls, gals, I mean, who are listening, what can we tell them that, and you said like, yes, writing, and absolutely, I believe in like, dump your brain, literally, I, I believe in it. Like, sometimes like, there are days like, I'm like, I just want to dump my brain and that's it, yeah. here you go. How can they find a voice? And I'm talking about young kids, boys, right? When they're saying, hey, dad and mom, I want to be a dancer. I want to be an actor. I want to do this completely separate than what's expected of me, right? Or I'm going to take it to the next level. And I didn't even think about it. I'm just like doing it right on the fly. I'm gay, right? How can they have that voice? What do you think? You know, that's, that's a great question. I think communication is always the hardest. And when you don't necessarily feel, and I think that's probably the biggest thing, is that if we have a voice inside us, which I think we all do, that needs to be heard, I think it's important for us to speak to it often and not let it be silenced. It's easy to say. You know, you and I can say that now because I think we've learned, but how many years did it take for us to learn that, right? But I think there's, there's a point in time when when a lot of the reason why we can't necessarily say what we want or let that voice speak, which is really who we are, is because that voice doesn't feel safe to be heard. And there's always going to be somebody out there who is going to want to stop that voice from being heard. If I can share with you, I've got, uh, I've got things that I think will help in the sense of how, how ballroom dancing taught me a lot about emotions and and how it helped me process. So, and if you'd be okay, I I can share with your listeners. Is that cool? Yes, please. Absolutely. Absolutely. Please. Okay. So, so the first one is, is me. So when it came to ballroom dancing, before you even get to touch a partner, I have to first know what I'm doing. So I have to know my steps. I have to know where I'm going. I have to know how to lead somebody. I have to know you know, the timing of the music. There's just a lot of things that I have to know myself. And so what I do as the ballroom dancer is, is I train myself. I learn the steps. I learn how to lead. I learn how to do all this on my own. And then that in turn leads me to become a better partner for you. And so it parallels so much in the sense that, you know, when I started learning this as a dancer, it turned into these life lessons that I never thought would teach me at all. And it it helped me focus on understanding, okay, I'm number one for the most part. If I could figure out what it is that I need to do to be the best me, to be the best version of me, to be, and it could be anything, a better husband, a better friend, a better son, a better 
lover, a better business person, anybody, I have to start with me. And so I would ask myself these questions, what it is that I want. And never do we ever do that. And I don't know about you, for you culturally, but for Latinos culturally, it's like the family first, right? And that's what you think of. And, you know, somebody else's needs before mine. Yet when you get on a plane to Ohio, the first thing the stewardess says is, you know, put your mask on first before you can help somebody else out. The same here for Indian culture. It's uh, my dad, my uncles. I had seen them, and they—they're all. Uh, they both, both of them are gone, but that's what they did. Yeah, it's like family first. So they literally drown themselves, and they go. Yeah. And it's crazy because that's that's just what we're taught. And so if there was one thing I could share with maybe a younger me it would be, let's start with you. What are your beliefs around? What are your thoughts on? What are your values on? What are your stories that you're telling in your head about any subject? And if somebody came up to me and said, let's talk about that for a guy. I went through the process and this is what ballroom dancing extracted through me was it just completely redefined it for me. There was so many times when I'd go walk into a restaurant and I'd be fully in makeup and have my outfit on because I'm hungry. And we would go and there would be a group of us and we, the looks we would get. Back then, it just it just wasn't seen. So we were always weird. Now you could look at anybody and it's like, oh yeah, that's cool. They're just, they're, they've got you know cool makeup on or they're wearing something really exuberant and exciting and exhilarating and that's nice. Back then it was kind of like that, that just person's just really weird. You know, I don't know if I trust them yet. And so it removed a lot of these old patterns that we had. And the important part being that it was completely me, it had nobody to do with nobody else. It just completely focused on, okay, let's start with you first as the person. And that was the first thing that I learned. The second thing I learned was you. You were dancing, what you wanted from me, what kind of lead that you wanted. And if I understood that, and if I just went to seek to understand you, then that would have made me a better partner for you. I would lead you better. You would probably want to dance with me again because I would make you feel safe every single time I picked you up in my arms. And that was my wife. And so I danced with my wife for my whole entire career from the moment that we stepped in the studio. That's where I met her. And it was awesome. Every step of the way when we were dancing together, it always begged that question out of the relationship, which was, how are you going to be a better leader for her? So then the third thing that ballroom dancing taught me was uh, had everything to do about us as a whole. So that was pretty, it's everything external. And in ballroom dancing, that has to do with like, when you're thinking about a competition, it has to do with the audience, people who's around you, the people who are looking at you, other dancers on the floor and judges who are actually there judging you. And for the very nature of that competition was probably one, this, this point was the hardest for me to get over because I tied so much of who I was based on who you thought I was and if you liked me or not. And how the dancing part like it completely made me feel about this was the minute that we started competing and if you're unfamiliar with ballroom dance competition, like every sport, it's binary. You know, if you score more points than me in soccer, you win. In martial arts, if you hit me more and take me down more, you get more points, you win. In tennis, it's the same thing. It's all completely binary. In ballroom dancing, it's your vision of what you think 
is completely subjective to the person judging you. And if you fit that image, then you get voted up. And so there's nine to 13 people who say whether or not you win a dance competition. And it's the collective that does that. And which is just completely weird. And so you're judged based on immediately, like you're just being judged on, nah, I don't feel like you're dancing very good today, or I don't like the way you look. And 20 years ago, 15 years ago, there wasn't a lot of us in the ballroom dance world. We didn't look like everybody else, you know, and especially with my wife and I, we weren't the same. We weren't the image. We like, I'm tall. She's like a foot and a half shorter than I am. And, and everybody was kind of paired to be like the stock images of what a ballroom dancer should be. You're both supposed to be tall. You're both supposed to have the same amount of length. And, and if you were short, you, they paired you with a short person that compared with I've got wild hair and she's got crazy hair. And I remember one time we had a, we had a lesson with somebody who told us, you know, you should look less Latin. You should look, you know, you should dye your hair blonde because you'll look like everybody else on the floor. And it was a coach. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. It was a coach who told us probably the most important lesson I learned in my life. And I'll share it with you, but I'm going to say it in my words. This was the, the sentence that I came up with. Fuck what everybody else thinks. Focus on being you. But the process behind that made, made me make this switch into owning my, our differences. That's when my wife and I started, started thinking, well, if we could be us, what could we do? And then all of a sudden we started seeing these advantages that we had over everybody else. And that advantage was, well, I could do things with her that I, that two tall people couldn't normally do. She could do things with me that two short people couldn't normally do. And when we released that stigma of what people thought of us, when I could look at a judge in their face and say, I don't care what you think about me anymore. I'm going to do this because I love the art of it. That's when we started winning dance competitions. That's when we started. That's when we like for we made the circuit and we were always first. And it's like all of a sudden everybody loved us. And it was almost freeing in a way. And that lesson very much carried to this day of, you know, not necessarily caring so much about what everybody else thinks and what their vision for what they thought of me and my self-esteem, my worth was no longer tied to who you thought or wanted me to be. And if I could go back and tell my younger self, hey, stop focusing on what other people think so much and only focus on what's important, which is what you really feel or think about yourself. Man, that would have changed my life. If it would have would have taught younger me that. I mean, th that's just, wow, that's mind blowing because I was listening to you and I feel that like the third part, when you said, number one is yourself. Yeah. Number two is your partner. Number three is outside or judges or validation, right? External validation. And that's where, that's what we keep hearing from life coaches. That's what we keep hearing from motivational gurus, however you want to say it. It's like we need to first work on ourselves and really self-care, right? Yeah, yeah. And the fact that you said like you actually, when you realize that number three is not that as important, that's when you started winning. Yeah. It's amazing because when you tap into yourself, that's what people will start realizing like, hold on a minute, that's something different or even their perspective changes. When you said like, you know, ballroom dancing and even acting in that 
sense that it's not binary and you're really bringing your idea your creative self to that specific moment or to the music so then my next question for you is what do you think and again i mean you have reached a point one like where you already know this and i know you teach boys and girls and you teach young kids you teach men and women how do you as a dancer as a teacher as a coach even how do you help them get over the barrier that you want to tell your younger self yeah well i think it starts with hearing it and i think we're in a position where you know even your podcast for example like this podcast is in a position to reach a lot of ears that need to hear the message that you're bringing to people and if they don't hear it then there's no validation behind it because they're only hearing it from one source and if they're not really in tune to believing in themselves as much as maybe we might now mm-hmm. then they won't necessarily think that that's a correct thought and so when you get to somebody where they could just say it constantly and hear that reassurance then i think that's a definitely a very strong first step my brother's got a little boy he's like 8 months i know you've got a son and the opportunity to be able to speak into that young mind that you're beautiful i love you you're loved there's nothing you have to do to earn this you're amazing that you know that they can fall down and cry and get back up and they're going to and it's okay and those are words that we get to speak over a younger generation that they can all of a sudden grow up to understand and believe in themselves a little bit more but i i think it first starts with just hearing it and if it was somebody seeking that and if i were that young kid again like searching for something i would hope that somebody would point me in the direction of like a motivational youtube video or motivational podcast like dad podcast that would be certainly a first step and then when i can start hearing that more and then saying that to myself more then i start getting over hurdles better because i have a support system and it's my support system i don't need anybody else for it and i think sometimes we think we do but i believe we're strong enough to handle it sure other people coming in and helping out is going to be way way better and if you don't have anybody like that in your life there's there's a lot of material out there even in a book that you can read that would probably be the start and just keep constantly hearing it over and over again and then eventually that chatter would turn into my own self talk and then that self talk in turn would would go into a belief in action you know helping somebody out in everything i do i think like that's exactly what it is like um as you said it's it's more like self investing in yourself yeah like you really kind of self learn and keep learning that i'm not alone there are people that out there that had been through this thing right yeah so my other question the reason i'm asking you this question is because this episode is a little different because this is the first time i have someone who is a teacher in real life of course i have coaches i have psychiatrists i have you know survivors but you are actually are there really teaching and training people yeah how do you handle like i'm curious like what if like a kid's parents come and say like do you really think who are like my my kid has it or do we just move to something else yeah how how do you handle adults like because we're all adults we have our as you said like just like your dad and you know like everything like just so your parents or families in a way we have this thing yeah 
how, how do you handle that? Well, you know, I'd probably say that usually adults of kids or parents of kids are very supportive. So the ones that we normally get in, because they're the ones who get it, they're like, you know, I'm going to put my kid through this and, and I'm just going to support them. They're like, you know, they're kind of like dance moms in a way, you know? Yeah, sure. They could be a little eccentric, but for the most part, they're there supporting the kid to a point. And the hardest part though, is when we get adults. And so now we mainly teach a lot of adults and um, it's harder. You're right. It's harder because they, everybody comes with their own baggage. And what I'd ha- what I would say though, is that everybody comes in with the one main thing that's consistent with every single one of them. And that's a desire. And they all, everybody who comes into our studio has a desire to change. And the dancing part is a very small part. And you could even think of this as kind of like when you go do martial arts, or even if you decided to go play soccer somewhere, like soccer's fun, playing soccer's fun, doing martial arts is fun, you know, doing a kata for an hour, maybe not so fun, but it's what that does for you. I would imagine when you go through a routine in martial arts, it's almost meditative in a way. Maybe it's releasing stress in a way. And in dancing, it's exactly that. Like when I have a couple come in and they're and they're saying, hey, I want to learn how to dance. Like the underlying reason is, you know, my wife and I haven't done anything exciting together in a long time. The kids are gone and we need to figure out how to reconnect or else we're going to divorce. Like that's an extreme scenario, which is something that we've dealt with before. And it's fun to see how the dancing breaks down these barriers because like I'm asking somebody to touch somebody in a way they they probably haven't touched in months. And that's just how you hold somebody in a dance position. Like that's how you social dance. You have to actually hold and hug. And so, I mean, you're like raising the vibration level of somebody's energy and their heart. And it's amazing to see the changes that we get to make. And a lot of that because of what it does for them. But when we teach, we know what we're doing. Uh, Like, I I know that I'm teaching more than dancing. You know, when I teach my teachers this, I tell them the same thing. Like, you know, there's so much more to this than what you're really doing. You think you're teaching them a step or like a cha-cha or a salsa, it's fun. But in reality, like I'm helping somebody feel good about themselves. I'm helping somebody's self-image. I'm helping somebody's confidence level rise. I'm helping a couple stay together you know, much longer than they would have had they just gone to some form of therapy that may or may not have worked. And it's connective in a way that a lot of things aren't. And I think because we understand that they start always at this point of, eh, it's not going to work. And usually around like maybe a month, you know, like goes in and they're like, okay, this is, this is cool. All right. You know, and then like by six months, complete change. Like they're just, they're going out later than their kids are. Like I had one, one lady say to me, my, my kids are upset at me. And I go, why are they upset at you? Well, because I go out, I, I stay, I come home at midnight, which is later than them. And they're like 20, 30 years younger than I am. And they're like, mom, you're not supposed to do that. Like we're supposed to be coming in late, but she's got friends at the studio and they go hang out and they go dancing all night long and they have dinners and drink wine and they just have this great time. And now all of a sudden this lady who was, at home and was just waiting for her kids to show up all of a sudden has a social life now and the kids are like whoa hold on one second so it's it's just it's interesting and because we understand that and we love that part of it we get to speak that into that person every single time they come into the studio and it's amazing because it changes it changes their life it's funny you said that because i interviewed uh, tim right tim ringold yeah. uh, and he's a music therapist 
he said the same thing, like, you know, music. I think as human beings, we all dance, we all do our thing. And, and then when it comes to the real life, we forget that let's turn on the music. Yeah. Let's dance. Yeah. So let's play something. Because we know for a fact, like music helps us. Yeah. But we are not really taking the steps to do it. Mm. And the fact that you just said it, like, it's amazing that, yeah, I know for a fact, like in my previous relationships, I had done that. Like, it was more like, oh my God, like, let's go take a dance lesson. Let's take a salsa lesson. Let's take this. Let's do that. And uh, dance and music, they're so connected and you're kind of, it brings people together. Yeah but it also gives you that purpose to understand like who you really are and figure out that definition of who I need to be because that gives you that openness like hold on a minute like I can actually use this as a tool yeah so it's amazing what i just heard from you so one more question with your episode would be when you decided that you will take this as a profession how did you overcome the barrier and how did you even think about breaking the stigma about whether i'll be judged and i I get it you already told me that like in ballroom dancing you learned that but if you can tell me from the social perspective in terms of friends and families because the listeners who are listening to me and if anyone who is at your younger self right Mm -hmm. I want them to understand, like, get a little bit of idea what Juan did and take some nuggets with them from this episode, like, so that they can help themselves. Yeah. You know, I think um, I'd probably say the first thing would be like pride or ownership. Ownership is probably a better word. You know, it, my my dad taught me something when I was younger, which I mean, he taught me a lot of things. But he, one of the things that he taught me was do something when you do something, do it well you know, and and you work your butt at, at it, no matter what it was. And he was notorious for just working his butt off. Uh, he worked at a factory making motorhomes and he was so dedicated that, that, you know, he, he didn't have anybody to take care of the kids. Like he, he took us with us on his trips, right. To make sure that we, you know, if mom was away or something like that, and that he, we, we would still stay with him. It's just like, he, that's how he was. But to overcome, he was the biggest one I had to overcome because he was the biggest one who didn't believe that this was the right path for me and always called it fake. Like it's not a real job. He kept saying that. So I had to, to silence that critic. I had to speak in his terms and I had to speak it to him in a way that he could hear because he, obviously he wasn't hearing about, but I'm passionate about this, but I love this and it's fun for me. You know, at my, I'm, I have a girlfriend now and she doesn't, we do it together. Like it just it didn't, nothing, nothing would get through until I showed him how much I made. And when I showed him my paycheck and I got to a point, I don't know how many years it got in, maybe it was like year two, maybe year one and a half or something like that. I showed him a paycheck and it was pretty much like what he made at the factory. And he'd been at the factory like 30 years or something like that supervisor and stuff and you know who's kind of going through the ranks and everything but when i showed him it in his terms like he understood money like and i said this is my paycheck now do you think this is a real job and he was like okay you got my respect and it was it like after that it was like he couldn't shut up about me he couldn't like he was like oh my god my son's traveling here and you know now he's got like i mean this was a job that like 
took me everywhere. I went to, I, I went to Vegas when like Vegas was like the one place I, Oh my God, I can't believe I'm going to Vegas. And, you know, and now it's like, it's like, Oh God, I got to go to Vegas again. <laughs> it's just so true. Right. I mean, it's, it's all relative, but you know, we, we just, yes, last year we went to, in the span of three months, I was in Greece, I was in Prague, I went to Spain, you know, and like I, I was in all these different places all because of this career that I've had. And it's amazing. It's provided so much opportunity. And so when I was able to speak to that part in the terms of somebody else, I had to speak it to it in their words so they could understand. That was the first thing. And the other part was when I was talking about to you was, was like number three, you know, when I got to a point where I was just like, you know, I just, I just don't care so much anymore. There's got to be a point where somebody asks themselves or says to themselves, you know, I matter. And what I have to say matters, what I believe matters, what I do matters. And when I matter, then I have to honor that voice inside of me and that artist inside of me that, that says you have to do this. Even if you're horrible at it, to be able to say, at least I did it, you know, I think would be a good thing just to do, at least, you know, okay, I, I did it, but I sucked at it. Okay. Maybe it's going to be a hobby instead of my career. At least I know that now I'll do something else that I'm really good at. But un until you try that out, then you'll never really know. And you'll always have this little bit of regret inside. And at some point in time, life is going to teach you this, right? And you're going to be 80 years old and you're going to wake up and, oh, who was it? I think it was um, Louise Hay. Louise Hay created Hay House Radio and, and like when she was like in her 70s or something like that. I'm like, it wasn't until then did she realize like in her mid 60s, I believe when she realized, you know, maybe talking to myself in, in good affirmations is important. And maybe I should start saying that now. And then she created this multi-billion dollar industry that all these amazing people come from now and completely brought this whole spiritual side that nobody would have ever known of had she not done that. And so at some point in time, it's going to catch up to you. And I guess the point to take away would be, could you listen to that now from wherever we're all at, you know? And, and I think we're never really there. I don't know if you can say this about yourself, but I know I, I can say this about myself. I'm not where I want to be yet. I'm not there yet. I know I've got a lot to learn and I'm going to continue to go through that process myself and just, you know, sit down with myself with a little journal and just say, Hey Juan, yeah, this is my journal, by the way. Right. So I got my journal and I'm like, Hey Juan, what do you, what, what do you really want today? What do you want? What do you want for the next five years or the next 10 years and start listening to that voice inside of me? I'll say this to you because I'm honored that you're, that you've even asked me to, to do this, but this was, this is a very big personal win for me. And a lot of the reason why this is a win for me was because not until maybe like a month ago, I probably would have said no. You know, had you asked me maybe two months ago, I probably would have said no, because the voice inside of me was still saying, you're not good enough yet. You're not there yet to be able to speak on this subject. When the other side of me was like, oh my God, you kidding me? You're, this is 20 years in the making that you've been doing this. And this little voice inside of me that says, you, you got to talk. You just got to speak. You, people need to hear what you have to say. And so when you said that, I'm like, I got to do it because I have to honor this voice inside of me that's telling me I need to do this. And that's all it takes. It takes one moment to say yes, and then you get scheduled, and then you get nervous, and then you get through the episode. <laughs> there you go. No, we are we are pretty much close to the end of the episode, but I do agree to what you said, because first of all, thanks for vulnerability. Thanks for being so open about everything throughout this episode to the point where you said two months ago, you wouldn't even take this invitation. Let me give the listeners an idea 
two months ago, I wouldn't have done this episode. Yeah. Because similarly as Juan, I was even questioning myself. This had been an 18 months, 19 months passion project. Like, mm. what if people can know my story? Yeah. I have the tools. I learned it. I'm growing and I'm, it's, it's a journey. And what if I can help people with other stories? I'm pretty sure everyone has a story. And what if Juan's story, what if Tim's story, what is Kemi's story, everyone I've interviewed so far helps someone else, even if it helps one person. Initially, even I was scared. I was like, who am I to talk about it? Right? Like there's Oprah, there's everyone else, there's Tony Robbins, there's everyone else. But then I realized like from their words itself, like they started from some, somewhere else too. Yeah. If they would have thought the same thing, would, we wouldn't have an Oprah. We wouldn't have Tony Robbins. We wouldn't have Mary Forleo. Like, no. Yeah. And that's where I think like me and you are both learning from our accelerator program too. But I do agree that it took me a while even to realize like, no, I have to say yes. And as you said, like schedule it. Yeah. Basically in a way that it's accountability, right? Yeah. It's not about what you put, what everyone else think about it, right? It's not about like, I could have in easily not talk about this, but the problem is like, that's the whole point of this podcast is I am showing up with my guests as authentic, as vulnerable, and they're showing up with me for you guys talking about how they had been in their journey. So if you are in a dead spot, if you feel like you have to end your life, my request had always been, don't do that. Your life matters. Your story matters. So trust me, reach out. And as Juan said, all my guests said, all of us had been there on the other side. We always reached out to someone. There's always, always, always some story, someone you can reach out and actually connect with. And if you don't, just directly DM me that you are struggling. And I promise you, I'm going to hook you up with proper people you can be accountable with. So long story short, Juan, I think like I'm going to stop here because I think you you nailed it when you said like you are like at one point like scared and now you are scheduling it. So that's, I think like that's the main thing, right? We have to show up and we have to do our part and we have to really be authentic and vulnerable and understand that if this is my dream, I'm going to stick stick to it, even if I'm horrible at it, as you said, right? Yeah. And at least you tried. So at least you won't have any regret and then you can move on. Yeah. I think there's a point to where you, when you've taken inventory of like where you're at, and I think that's you and I, we could say this because this is, this is the whole point of the program that we're in, is that we've taken inventory of where we're at. And then we decided and asked ourselves questions, which was like, well, what do I want? And we decided, I'm going to decide on what I want. And part of deciding on what I want is also what I don't want anymore. So was, well, we want a better life and this is what we're going for. The third part to that is like, at some point, you just got to just do it. And if, if I could say a little bit about you, like, man, watching you, you've been doing it like day in, day out. Even if you have to rush in and get and get there, you're like, I'm going to do it. Because you could have just easily said, nah, let's wait. And let's go, let's do it again tomorrow. Just like I could have said, oh, you know what? Nah, never mind. It's running late. Let's go. No, we're like, we're going to do it. I was about to say the same thing. Like, you know, it's just a reciprocal. Like, 
Yeah. Totally. Just go. Go for it. Like, let's just go for it. And then, like, really just kind of, even if it's simple step, right? Yeah. So, one, one thing I want you to tell my listeners, and I'm talking about young men, boys, who are choosing one last thing in your way. Imagine, like, you as a younger self. And I can guarantee you there are people out there. What would you tell them? I would say, I would say, listen to yourself. And I would say, believe in yourself. And if there was anything that I could do to get that across to them somehow, to that younger me, somehow, some way, get across, you need to believe in yourself and you need, and you need to honor that part of yourself. I'd probably say those. And Juan, I'm going to put you on spot here, guys. Because uh, <laughs> you're such a good friend. I'm going to put you on spot. I'm going to have your website okay. on my podcast link. I'm going to have Juan's uh, website link on my social media. And then if you guys ever, anyone who is listening, their kids, even you as an adult, want to pursue your lifelong dream, that's you didn't because of stigma that we talked about this episode, right? That Juan triumphed and you want to do that. Reach out to Dads and Deadlifts Facebook page on Instagram page. I will connect with Juan. And Juan, I'm going to just put you on spot here. And trust me, guys, we didn't talk about this at this point. <laughs> Don't charge me for it, Juan. <laughs> but it's about the, it's about the mission. And uh, reach out to us. Yeah. And definitely, trust me, you can get direct help. Because I want everyone who is listening and who are thinking, just like career, who what's against the norm of man up, to listen to this episode and understand you can still re-man up in a different way and still be the man. So reach out if you need help. And I, as I said, like I literally put Juan on the spot <laughs> and they have been doing this for 20 years. You can at least have some call, at least have some discussions and they can guide you. Okay. So thank you, Juan. Really appreciate it for you being on the podcast. Anytime, man. Thank you very much for asking me. Appreciate it. And then uh, there's uh, two things I do before I end my podcast every episode. I have a surprise question for my guests. Let's do it. <laughs> okay, let's do it. If dancing is your superpower, what do you want to heal with that superpower? If dancing was my superpower, uh, what do I want to heal? This is going to sound weird, but I would want to heal the subconscious. And I, I think because when we turn off our brains, we, we listen to that part of our brain and that part of our brain rules everything we do. And I'm obsessed, absolutely obsessed with trying to reprogram that part of my brain into something that's more positive, into something that's more giving to not just to me, but to my wife, to everybody else. And I, I've just been a, I've been a kid who's kind of grown up with a lot of self-negative chatter that it's kind of led me to wanting to heal that in myself, which I'm still doing. But I would say I would love to do that for everybody. That would be what my power would be. Heal, heal. Brilliant answer. Brilliant answer. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. And then the last thing is the way I actually finish my episodes with, I'm an avid reader, right? A lot of people know about that in the program that me and, our, uh, me and you are in. So today I chose one of the books that I read uh, last year. Uh, it's The Ego is the Enemy. Oh, cool. 
by the way, just so you guys know, and I kind of talked in a couple of episodes about this, I just choose it. Just choose the book for that episode. And today, again, I chose the book because right now I'm reading completely a different book, but I'm like, I'm going to just go back to the book that I read and Ego is the Enemy because, of course, I marked something with Juan on the call. I wanted to read this phrase, become a student chapter. Our teachers in life are not only those we pay, as Hamid said, Saturni, nor are they necessarily part of some training dojo like it is for Shamrock. Many of the best teachers are free. They volunteer because like you, they once were young mm. and had the same goals that you do. Many don't even know they're teaching. They're simply exemplars or even historical figures, as you know, whose lessons survive in books and aces. But ego makes us so hard-headed and hostile to feedback that it drives them away or puts them beyond our reach. It's why the old proverb says, when a student is ready, the teacher appears. Hmm. Nice. So I think like that's the best way I could end our episode, Juan, because you had you were a teacher, you're a coach, you're a dancer, you had overcome all the adversities in your mind. Yeah. Right? When people said that, oh man up, go get a job. And in not again, as I said, like as I keep mentioning to people, it's not all the time in a bad way. It's just a society. It's just a socioeconomic and cultural dynamics that we have right now. And we are all trying to redefine it. Yeah. So, and I feel like that's the best way I can end this episode today. So. That's great. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. And thank you, brother, for joining me on this episode. I can't wait for your new launch. By the way, talk a little bit about, before we leave, about your new launch. I know you started some virtual online thing with this COVID-19. Yeah. Please talk a little bit about that. Yeah, we've been we've been doing um, a lot of virtual dance classes just for people, just to kind of keep them active, you know, during this time as well. But my wife and I pretty much are launching a new business that focuses on a lot of the things that we've learned and kind of like a little bit of what I shared with you today uh, from dancing. And it's, it's kind of led us into this self-discovery about ourselves, about just everything from our minds to our body, to our spirits. I shared with you earlier today that my wife is really into, into understanding her spirit. And so we're creating a, a new business based off of that. It's not ready yet, but um, if anybody wants any information, they can just go to info at dancemadness.com. That's info at dancemadness.com. And um, I can share a little bit more information on what it is that we're doing. Okay. And one last thing, where can people find you? Yeah. Uh, social media, Instagram, Facebook, uh, at Garcia Dancer. So just hit me up at, at Garcia Dancer. I'd love to share any wisdom that I have or any, if you need help with anything, I'd love to chat with you about it. Thank you so much, brother. Thank you so much for coming here today and really talking about your life and helping the listeners to understand like, you know, uh, man up doesn't need to be all by themselves. And, uh, old stigma that we are going through yeah thank you very much thanks again for having me really appreciate it thank you 
Thanks for listening to another episode of Dads and Deadlifts. And I hope you are as excited as I am learning from our guest today on the specific topic. Please subscribe, share, and leave a comment and tag Dads and Deadlifts on Instagram and Facebook with your experience of today's episode. Because remember, your one share might save someone from feeling alone and provide them the tools they can incorporate in their daily lives. Let's each of us do our part in helping men around the world. You can personally message me on my Facebook page or Instagram page, Dads and Deadlifts, if you want your story to be shared on the podcast or if you just feel alone and want someone to reach out to. Always remember, you are not alone. All you got to do is reach out. And I am rooting for you. Until next week, your host Rish signing off. I will see you next week with another brand new episode.